0: week? Okay, Amy is. Good. So this message is for all of you then. It's for everyone else. No, you say. I need you to unite your faith with mine. We are in a series uh, called In Your Presence, and uh, this is week two, uh, which just happens to be the middle of what, we're, uh, what we know now as Advent Season. Advent is simply the word described as waiting or coming. And so what we're doing is we're learning this Christmas season, we're challenging and encouraging you to slow down, to slow down, to wait eagerly in his presence so that we might experience, we might encounter the arrival of the most pure and perfect gift, Jesus I know the word slow down can be sometimes translated as four letter words. As a matter of fact, they're pretty close. But the invitation that Jesus is offering us this advent season is simply that it is to slow down and we're using this text out of Psalm 16 and 11 and it says this, "You show me the path of life," David says. "You show me the path of life that in this path is your presence." And in your presence there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's a promise that when we draw near to his presence, we will find the fullness, that word translated, the abundance of his joy, his gladness, his happiness. How many of us could use some joy tonight? We're getting there. A few more of you. C.H. Spurgeon says this. He says that there are three results of nearness to Jesus. In other words, three things happen when we draw closer to him. Happiness, holiness, and humility. So my prayer for us this Advent season is is that we would pray and believe that in his presence we will experience and discover the fullness of his joy. The fullness of it. With no lack. That as we draw nearer to Jesus, we will find eternal happiness. Not worldly happiness. That we will mature in holiness. And that we will live with greater humility than ever before. I'm believing that in this season of Advent, as we wait in his presence, we'll become more like Jesus. We will become more like Sons and daughters of the Father in heaven who's created a perfect season like Christmas to find ourselves in His presence, being filled with the fullness of His joy. And so over uh, over these next couple weeks, we're discovering that in His presence there are some incredible truths. Last week we discovered that in His presence there is light. That there is light. Tonight, we're going to discover that in His presence... There is life. There is life. Let me pray for us tonight before we dive into the Word of God. Father, I just pray that tonight we would allow ourselves, give ourselves permission to slow down, to be fully present in this moment so that we could experience the fullness of your joy in your presence. That we would draw nearer to you, and as a result, we would find eternal happiness, not worldly happiness. We'd mature in holiness, and we'd come out of the other side of these moments with greater humility than ever before, that as a result of being in your presence, we will not only encounter you, but we will leave more like you. Sons and daughters who are carrying the light of Christ, walking in the light of the Lord, together as a family. In your name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, chapter 11. We're going to continue in Isaiah tonight, Chap- uh, chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10. Well, I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 10, and then we're going to uh, break down just a few of the verses that we, that we read tonight. I'm going to read to you out of the, new, uh, the NIV version, and it says this, chapter 11, verse 1. It says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. He will not decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Verse 5 says The righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed them, uh, feed with the bear and their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all of my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Verse 10. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. If If you note in this text, there's... Uh, Some similarities to what we unpacked last week in Isaiah chapter 2. In the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many peoples shall come and say, come, let us all go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God. It's simply an invitation that all people, that all sons and daughters of every nation, of every creed, of every religious background and belief would once again come to the highest mountain, that is none other than the house of the Lord. In Isaiah 11, he's declaring that, that the, the, in this day, when everyone comes into the house of the, God, of the Lord, the root of Jesse will stand as the banner for the people. The root is simply the term Jesse figuratively stands for the Messiah. The root of Jesse figuratively stands for the Messiah. And so tonight I want to emphasize verses 1 through 3a. 1 through 3a for the purposes of our message tonight. And let me reread them to you just so that we can uh, be refreshed by what was spoken. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. The reason why I wanted to emphasize these three passages of scripture is that this prophecy comes on the heels of what is known as the fall of Assyria. It's a picture that is outlined in Isaiah 10. Essentially, the fall is yet just another season or generation of the great line of David falling victim to the power, to the temptation, and the pressures of the world that they lived in in current context. As I was studying this past week about the the connection between Isaiah 10 and Isaiah 11, and quite honestly, throughout all of Isaiah, I came across this this great expository from a man named Alexander McLaren. He was a Scottish Baptist minister in the mid-1800s and early 1900s, and he had this to say about the connection between Isaiah 10 and the opening text of 11. It also challenged me with my vernacular because, obviously, you can imagine, a Scottish Baptist minister spoke with another level of, of excellence than, than I'm used to. So bear with me as I read to you this expository. I think it will help us tonight recognize and learn and discover that in his presence, there is life. He he says this, the hopeless fall of Assyria is magnificently pictured in the close of Isaiah 10. As the felling of the cedars of Lebanon by the axe swung by Jehovah's own hand, a cedar once cut down puts out no new shoots. Into the Assyrian power, when it falls, it will fall forever. The metaphor is carried on surpassing beauty in the first part of this prophecy, which contrasts the indestructible vitality of the Davidic monarchy with the irre- irremediable destruction fated for its formidable antagonist. I wish I could say I was a poet and didn't know it. I just read what the man wrote. The one is a cedar, the stump of which rots slowly but never recovers. The other is an oak, which every woodman knows will put out new growth. From the looks of it, we all look like woodmen with our plaid shirts on tonight. (laughs) Yet the only ax I've touched recently is one I threw into a wall, so I don't know if that classifies me as a woodman. Any and every woodman knows will put out new growth from the stool. But instead of a crowd of little suckers, the prophet sees but one shoot. Not suckers as we know suckers. (laughs) And that rising to more than the original height and fruitfulness of the tree, the prophecy is distinctly that of one person in whom the Davidic monarchy is consecrated in, in all its decadence more than recovered. Simply put this, expository provides yet another picture of humanity. In this season of Advent, in this Christmas season, there are some who are absolutely living in the fulfilled promise of this prophetic word. Who are like oak trees where the fruit of the shoot has blossomed and provided a deeper sense of purpose. Which has resulted in you living in his presence, enjoying currently today the fullness of his joy. And running after him with your whole heart. And I know this is true because I know all of you. And many of you have shared with me how you're experiencing a season right now where you're encountering and experiencing the fullness of God's purpose and plan for your life like never before. But on the other side of that truth is another one. A truth that some are lost and stuck in the field of dead cedar trees. Where there is no life, just decay, rot, and desolation. One that is screaming quietly deep within that I want to live in his presence. I want to live in the fullness of his joy. I want to believe that in his presence there is light But I'm so trapped in my darkness, my fear, my sorrow, my misery, that I'm having a hard time seeing his light shine in my current situation. And now, Pastor, you're telling me that there's life as well? I'm just trying to hold on for dear life. How could there possibly be more life than this? Some might have even said or are saying right now, is life really worth it? Is this life really worth it? Is this life really worth it? Maybe I haven't asked a big question the last couple of weeks. Maybe let me pose this question to you. Is this life really worth it? If that's you, then I believe tonight God has planned and purposed for you and I to be here at this very moment so that you might hear this message. And if you're one living in the fulfilled purpose, the fulfilled promise, you're living in the fullness of his joy, then would you unite your faith with mine tonight? And would you believe that those who find themselves lost or stuck in the field of dead oak trees will be found by the light and life of Jesus tonight? Come back with me to the beginning once more to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. I can't seem to get away from in the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It goes on to say in verse 2, Now the earth was formless. Everyone say formless, and it was empty. Everyone say empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. and The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Remember, darkness is defined in Hebrew as uh, misery, destruction, death, ignorance, sorrow, or wickedness. It's interesting to me that in this particular account of Scripture, it says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the earth. It was over the surface of the of the deep. That word formless is the Hebrew word which is uh, pronounced tohu. Formlessness, barren, confusion, unreality, emptiness, chaos, desolation, futile things, meaningless arguments, nothing, waste all describe or define formless. Interesting that the word empty is bohu, which is just simply translated as void. So in other words, there, there's a formless void. There's, a, there's an empty void. There, th- there's a, a barren void. There's a confused void. There's a chaotic void. There's, there's a desolate void. There's a futile void. Void. There's, there's meaningless voids in the beginning. There's nothing. Waste. Voids. This is much like what we read in Isaiah in the field of desolation, confusion, and chaos, where God speaks into what on the surface appears to be dead. Remember, what he's speaking life into is a field of dead cedar trees. In the metaphoric thought, yet by his word, by his word, a shoot springs forth new life. In the beginning, God created out of emptiness, out of chaos, out of desolation, out of confusion, God created. He, he took that which was formless and he formed it into life. And in kind and in context, what he's saying here yet again is he's taking what is formless and he's forming it yet again into new life, into new life. I, I, I don't know about you, but I've found that in my own life, as I've looked back on the big moments of really God getting my attention, and quite honestly, God can really only get my attention by big, significant Moments, Like, I mean, life-altering, pull the carpet out from underneath me, like moments. Some of you know some of those moments intimately and personally. Some of you don't, and I'm f- f- happy to share any of them with you. But I have found in, in my own life that what appears like chaos or confusion or desolation isn't always out to harm me. It's not actually to take me out. The enemy wants me to believe that to be true, yeah. But the truth is, is it's not true. What I've discovered is, is it's just an opportunity to strip me down to my very root again. To the very foundation again, not as a cedar tree, but as a oak tree where a shoot can blossom once again. I found that in my own life, I've, I've had to experience some very Difficult and trying moments and when you look at them and you're going through them. It kind of feels like hell on earth Some of you tonight might be feeling like you're literally living in hell on earth right now you're like life Shoot I don't like it Life and I don't get along right now What I found that is in my own life in those moments God has to strip me down so that he can sprout new life. It's so that I can see my darkness for what it really is. And I can begin yet again to start trusting the creator of life. To bring healing. Not destruction. To bring calm. Not chaos. To bring order. Not confusion. So often self-imposed chaos of my own life, quite honestly. Honestly. You see, the truth is, is that the enemy wants to keep you trapped. He wants to keep you lost or stuck in the field of death, destruction and chaos. And some of you are struggling with that right now in this very moment. He wants you to see only the surface of the trees. He wants us to believe that God judges and looks only at the outward appearance of our life. He wants us to be ashamed of what people think of us when we walk in a room. He wants us to be intimidated by the way people might be whispering about a subject that has nothing to do with you, but he will just whisper in your ear ever so suddenly, look, they're talking about you. But we know that's not true. That's a bowl of Baloney. I wanted to say a bowl of shrimp, then we could call it BS, but I thought I'd try to behave this Christmas season. Remember that our text even tells us in verse 3, he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. Isaiah 11 and 3, he says this, he says he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. So what he sees and what he hears, he's not even taking into account. God even says himself in 1 Samuel 16 and 7, he says, Do not consider his appearance or his height as God is a crowning a new king. Samuel's like, Look at that man on the outside. He's big and strong and fit. Must look like Pastor Aaron. He surely's fit to be a king. No, we're not looking at the outside appearance, we don't want him. What God's after is what's on the inside. I want to see the measure of the man's heart. And King David was known to be what? A man after God's yeah. own heart. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord, the Bible says, looks at the heart of a man and a woman. You see, on the outside, we all, all we see, all the enemy wants us to see, all the enemy wants us to believe is death, decay, and destruction. But what God sees is on the inside. What he sees is his sons and daughters who he created in his image, so he knows you more intimately than your mom and your dad do. He sees his sons and his daughters who are hurting. Who are crying out quietly in the darkness of your pain. I want to be healed. I want to walk in the light. I want to be seen. I want to be known. But man, I am surely lost. I'm ashamed and I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what others might think of me. I'm afraid of what others might say of me. If that's you, then friend, you're in good company. Because you are exactly who tonight, I believe Jesus came for. He says as much in John 3 and 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn it. He didn't send his son into the world to judge or to pass judgment on you or on me. No, no, no. That's not what he came for. But I came to save the world through him. To save you, to rescue you out of your pain, out of your sorrow, out of your misery, out of your darkness. Not to walk up to the edge of it and go, I told you not to do that. What were you thinking? I gave you every sign. You asked me for 100 signs, I gave you 101, and you just ignored every single one. Like God's just like, yo, what were you thinking? No, 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 he didn't do that. No, instead what he did is he he said, I came into the world to get down into the muck and into the dirt and into the decay and into the misery of your pain and to meet you there and to spend time with you. And love you through it and tell you and remind you that you are my son and you're my daughter and whom I'm well pleased. And I'm not leaving from this moment until you're ready to stand up again. And when you are son, daughter, I promise you. You will experience a life like you've never experienced before, but let's just wait a moment. And when you're ready. We'll move together. He says in Luke 19 and 10, he came to seek and to save Those who are lost, you ever played hide-and-go-seek? You you ever given up when somebody's so good at hiding, you just quit seeking them? I've done that. You're too good. You win. I'm out. (laughs) Winner, winner, chicken dinner. But see, here's the difference between Jesus and me. He doesn't give up until he finds you. He says, I came to seek and to save the lost. You are not going to beat me at hide-and-go-seek no matter how bad you think you did or are or what you've done or how unforgivable you think it is, I promise you, son or daughter, I came to seek and to win and to save you back into my family and into my kingdom and into my purpose. He says, Jesus being, in John 10 and 10, he says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Sounds an awful like like a field of cedar trees, doesn't it? to steal, to kill, and destroy. Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. The word life in the Greek is zoe, and it means life. But it means not just eternal spiritual life, but physical, present, now life right now like right this moment like another moment doesn't has to pass in order for you to experience the kind of life he's talking about he's talking about i came to give you now life when right now not tomorrow not next sunday not even christmas eve There'll be now life then too, but right now you're here and I'm here and the presence of God is here. And He has come to seek and to save you, to help you and remind you that you're His son and His daughter and He wants you to have abundant now life. He came tonight to give you now life, a full life, an abundant life, so that you can live in the fullness of His joy so that you can walk in the light of the Lord would you stand with me tonight church is that you tonight are you lost or stuck in a field of dead cedars where there appears on the outside to be no life no healing no light no hope for you Just misery, destruction, death, ignorance, sorrow, wickedness? Are you currently stuck or trapped in this season of life that you're in right now? And you've uttered the words, is this life even really worth it? Or in some form or fashion? Could I just ask everyone to close your eyes with me tonight? This is not to embarrass anybody. This is not to to cast a light or shine a light on anybody. The only light that I'm interested in shining is the light of Jesus. I know sometimes it just requires an intimate moment between you and the presence of the Father. If that's you tonight, you feel trapped, you feel stuck, you feel barren, you feel confused, you're empty. The world feels chaotic for you right now. Life is chaotic. Have your eye closed. Could I just get you to just, right now where you are, just raise your hands to heaven. And say, that's me, Father. I'm stuck. I'm trapped. I look around and all I see is chaos. I'm weary. I'm full of sorrow and full of pain. And I just don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. If that's you tonight. Just do a bold and brave thing and just... Just surrender to Lord. Just extend your hands to heaven and say, "That's me, Father. Here I am. It's all I've got. I've got just this one move. I'm just going to move to you. I'm going to extend my hand to you. It could just be one hand. Maybe it's both. But just make a move towards Him. That's all it takes. The prodigal son, just said, "I'm at the end of myself," and He made a move. it says, "The Father came running to Him." Thank you, Jesus. Beautiful. Beautiful. Father, I pray that right now every person in this room whose hearts are postured towards you, who are at the end of themselves, who are questioning is this life even really worth it, who are stuck in fear and worry and doubt and uncertainty, living in a perpetual state of uncertainty, I pray, Father, right now that the, the very word of God for them tonight is forgiveness. The very word of God for them tonight is healing. The very word of God for them tonight is life. And I pray, Father, that that life will begin to uproot, to heal every dark, every hurt, every pain, every insecurity, every doubt. That Your Holy Spirit would do its best work here tonight. you would do your best work. Thank you, Father, for your presence. Thank you, Father, for your power and your Holy Spirit. I thank you for your light and your life that has the power to overcome darkness and to create new life right here, right now so that we might experience now life. And out of the formless voids of our life, you would give us New life.